Happy Friday, everybody. Especially to you, Canterbury. Happy Anniversary Day. Aaron, Aaron, do you know what happens on Canterbury Anniversary Day? Well, given that I lived in Christchurch for a number of years, I think you're talking about the AMP show? I am talking about the AMP show. You are correct. And at some point along the way, the poor AMP show, it's been corrupted. It's been corrupted by townsfolk like us because this year, oh, this year includes Jack Russell Racing. Um... Amazing. I know. Adorable, yes. I know. Who needs tractors? Who needs sheep when you can watch Jack Russell's doing a 100-meter dash? Now, this race actually took place yesterday, so sorry for anyone that's heading along today. I have had a look at today's timetable, though, and found something that I definitely will not be attending, the Sheep Maternity Ward. Oh, man. No, 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 no. Give me Jack Russell's overbirthing sheep any day of the week, Jess. I'm with you. I'm with you. Give me a lamb once it's not covered in gunk, but not a second before. (laughs) Though I'm sure that does appeal to some people. Yeah, and at least there is some agriculture left in the AMP show. Very true, Aaron. Very true. And well, enjoy your day of Canterbury. But the news isn't taking a day off. So let's get on with the show. Kelda, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Aaron. And this is what's worth talking about. The Public Service Union says foreign affairs is bowing to racist rhetoric and removing te reo Māori from briefing templates. Surviving by sheer willpower, Doctors Without Borders say people in Gaza can't live without a ceasefire and more help. How posing for that perfect selfie could actually turn fatal. And why what your bun looks like, let alone your patty, really does matter. All that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. The growing use of te reo Māori in both everyday life and officialdom has become increasingly divisive for Kiwis. For some, it's about embracing a language that's unique to Aotearoa, but for others, they say it leaves them feeling shut out when they don't understand. Christopher Luxon signalled he wants an English-first approach to dual-language ministry names, while his coalition bedfellow Winston Peters, well, he's promised to erase all Māori names from government departments. Already this week, staff has revealed the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is slashing te reo from some templates ahead of the new look beehive. To give us some more on this, we're joined by Marcia Puru, acting te kahotu Māori for the Public Service Association. Kia ora, Marcia. Thanks for coming on. Kia ora. Now, why do you understand that the Ministry for Foreign Affairs has done this? I don't understand, and I certainly don't agree. And I think that we're really disappointed in the view of being fat, while the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is ignoring its staff and bowing down to rhetoric, racist rhetoric, that we saw leading into the campaigning election recently um, and in doing this before the ministers are sworn in is just absolutely ridiculous. As you point out I mean doing something like this before a new government is even formed what do you make of that? I think it's presumptuous I think it shows um, exactly what uh, te obligations for them mean including te ao Māori, te reo Māori and te Māori it's all important to Māori katoa particularly important to its staff and I think that they need to take heed of what their staff are saying. Yeah, let's talk about the stuff. So how are people feeling about kind of them getting ahead of this and, and taking Māori out of the templates? Well, as we know, we know that they put in a submission against the removal of the Māori titles and good on them. You know, PSA supports our staff and our members within. In fact, and actually we support all our Māori staff across the public service where we don't want to see this as a catalyst for change. We don't want to start to see this as duplicated across agency. We need to be challenging uh, these statements, these actions that really doesn't honour Te Tiriti Waitangi. And we believe that getting behind our staff to support our members 
aggressive PSA is really important. This is the start of what we're starting to see in terms of the change that we're going to have uh, coming our way. Do you feel like the argument that some of the public have been left behind uh, has some merit? That sort of some people will say, look, names have changed everywhere. I just don't know what that means. I don't know what it is. You know, one thing I'm going to say is that Māori, te reo Māori, is an official language of New Zealand, of Aotearoa. And it deserves that respect. And I understand there might be different perspectives from those who don't know how to read Māori, but that just means that we need some education, right? We've been learning English all our lives, and it's really important that they learn te reo Māori. It's a beautiful language, and it's an official language of Aotearoa. And does it worry you a bit that this could be the thin end of the wedge in some ways? Like the, the change of names is almost low-hanging fruit. What does this mean for the honouring of Titiriti beyond that? Absolutely. It's a start of what we don't want to see in this this new environment we may be working in. So we will be challenged. There will be challenges for us. Honour the Titiriti or Waitangi. That's all we're asking. That is Marsha Puru, acting Tikahotu Māori for the Public Service Association. Kia ora. Thank you for your time. Kia ora. Later on the show, we're going to be talking about selfie deaths, the dark side of social media. But what we want to hear from you is, have you ever ignored a barrier or a warning sign in order to snap a great shot? Now, be honest, because, of course, you're definitely not alone in this. Search us up on Insta, Newsable NZ. We'll chuck a poll up there. Newsable NZ is, of course, also our TikTok handle if you want to check out some of our videos, too. After being under siege for so many days, Israeli troops have finally entered Al-Shifa Mosque in the north of the Gaza Strip, and they've also said they did find Hamas weapons and equipment inside. Hospital staff have consistently denied that Hamas used the hospital as a command centre, but it's impossible to verify any information. What is beyond dispute, though, is the ongoing suffering in Gaza and that many hostages taken from Israel are still being held. To talk to us about what's happening inside the Gaza Strip, we're joined by Doctors Without Borders Australia President Katrina Penny. Katrina, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. Can we start, please, with what you're hearing about the situation in Gaza? Thanks, Jeffs, and thanks um, for for having me on the show. So we know that there's over 1.6 million people that have already been displaced since the 7th of October in the Gaza Strip. We know that there's no safe place in Gaza. We know that over 30% of the people that have been killed were killed in the south, and this is where the Israeli government had told them whether they would um, seek shelter. We know that over 780,000 people are internally displaced, and we know that these people are sheltering in um, facilities across, they say, the middle and Kanyunas and the Rafa areas. We know that people are being forced to walk for for many, many kilometres and that they are exhausted and they are dehydrated. And we also know that at the moment, I think there's unprecedented really high temperatures, which is on top of that. So we know that the situation is catastrophic and we know that it's not getting any better. And we know that we need a ceasefire to be able to get humanitarian people and resources and materials in to support those people. When it is as catastrophic as you describe, is there anything that Doctors Without Borders can even do to help when those hospitals aren't safe places anymore? I think the doctors will always be doctors and they will always try to do the very best for as long as they possibly can. The doctors are staying with their patients. So doctors and medical staff are still absolutely doing that. They're doing what they know best and what they need to do. MSF, can, we can speak out. We can we can talk about you know what's happening on the ground. We are the testimonies of the people and of the patients. So that's something that we can do as an organisation. But we have our hands tied. There is a very limit of work that we're able to do at the moment. We can do so much more and we need to do so much more. 
but we need to have a ceasefire and we need to have hospitals that are not targeted. We need to have a safe place to work for our staff and a safe place for our patients to get better. MSF have made repeated calls for a ceasefire, but those who have the power to achieve that don't appear to be listening. No, no, they don't. But we need a ceasefire, you know, and we remain horrified by the attacks that Hamas had on Israel on the 7th of October. But yeah, we need to work together. We need to work as one, solidly as one voice, to stop what's going on in Gaza at the moment and to ensure that there is a ceasefire so we can work with the civilians and we can support them. That's Katrina Penny from uh, Doctors Without Borders Australia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Kia ora Aotearoa and welcome to The Big Stuff Quiz. I'm your host, Imogen Wells, alongside my assistant, the wonderful Chris Reid. Hello everyone. Each week we'll release a new episode to test your wits with two rounds of ten questions. One potluck round and another that's very loosely themed. A bit tangential even. Such a good word. If you think you're up for the challenge, go and follow our show on your favourite podcast platform, The Big Stuff Quiz, is out now. The Big Stuff Quiz is proudly brought to you by Melbourne. Every bit different. Coming up, a whopper of a story across the ditch. Mackers and Hungry Jacks have been locked in a three-year bun fight over alleged burger copying. The who, the what, the why in just a moment. But do eat something first, as all this burger chat could make you hungry. Social media has turbocharged the quest for the perfect selfie. I think we all could fall victim to this from time to time. Influencers are constantly trying to outdo one another with more outrageous locations and angles. But new research out of the University of New South Wales has found this hunt for online fame comes with a dark side, arguing selfie-related deaths constitute a new public health risk. To chat over this some more is the researcher's author Samuel Cornell. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Sam, we see occasional news stories where people die after falling from great heights taking a selfie, but how big of a problem is this really? I think it's a much larger problem than people realize. And that's not to say it's as large a problem as smoking, you know, or road traffic accidents. But nevertheless, it's a preventable issue. And we saw it as an issue and we thought, well, something needs to be done about this. We need to look into it in a much deeper way. What does the research say about how people are actually coming to harm when they're taking selfies? So it's myriad. People have come to harm from taking selfies by taking them near train tracks. There's been firearm-related selfie injuries and deaths, particularly in the USA, as you might suspect. There's also been people, you know, falling from man-made structures. My research is much more concerned about people getting into trouble at natural areas, like aquatic locations, cliff edges, waterfalls, beaches, pools, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm concentrating on sort of the natural hazards and how social media-related visitation sort of ties into that. There will be some people that kind of roll their eyes when they see the Sam and think, well, it's just common sense, don't do dumb stuff, and and hopefully things like this won't happen to you. What do you say to that? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I've heard some, you know, unpleasant comments, you know, such as, oh, it's natural selection, or this is Darwinism having its effect. And, you know, I can understand why people say that. It doesn't mean I agree with it. I think that we live in a society in which we feel we have a responsibility for each other to an extent. And I guess I also just think just because you do something silly, perhaps once, doesn't mean you should die from it. 
You know, like, because everyone does silly things. I did silly things when I was younger. You know, I've taken risks. Unfortunately, I didn't get injured or, or die from them. So I think that there's a responsibility on land managing agencies, policymakers, us as researchers, to at least try to convey the risk. And that's what taking a public health approach is all about. You're trying to reduce the harm. You're trying to mitigate the risks. It doesn't mean that they're going to completely diminish or go away. You know, in the same regard that it's still, um, we still have road traffic accidents, right? But we try and diminish the risks. We try and reduce the harm. And that's the same principle with this. Is mitigating the risks, is that the best we can do? Or is there other things that you think we should also be doing to combat it? I think mitigating the risk is, is all that we can do because you can't completely change behavior you know across an entire population and actually the selfie camera is only getting better you know like (laughs) those selfie cameras are are, are great now (laughs) so look we're not getting rid of this and and it's not just selfies it's social media driven tourism or travel generally not that i'm against that but it can lead to behaviors that are risky i think because of the, the of the massive sort of influence that social media has on our lives so yeah, I think all we can do is try and reduce risks and we can only do that by communicating risks and educating people. What we know is that the methods we're currently using aren't working because signs don't seem to have much of an effect. When people turn up to some of these locations, there's plenty of signs warning them that this is a dangerous area, watch out. But it's the same with barriers. Often people want these photos so much that they'll traverse the barrier to, to get it. If we know that like what I'm determining to be sort of legacy methods of communication, they don't really work with this new kind of tourist, this new visitor, which is definitely social media driven, then we need to take a different approach. So is that approach when you open your selfie camera, you get a warning saying, are you somewhere dangerous, put your phone away? Or what, what do you think? Yeah, I actually think that something along those lines would be great. The difficulty with that is getting social media companies to buy into that. I don't think we're going to get Apple giving us a warning every time we open our selfie camera, nor do I think we should. That would be really annoying. But there is something to be said perhaps for, you know, on Instagram receiving potentially a warning message if you are in a well-known spot where people have died, for instance, or been injured. Samuel Cornell from the University of New South Wales. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Across the ditch, Jess, a three-year bun fight over burgers has hit fever pitch. This sounds like a uh, whopper of a story, Aaron. Tell me more. It is, it is. So back in 2020, McDonald's took Hungry Jack's, which is Burger King for those following along at home, to court, claiming it infringed the Big Mac trademark by promoting a pretty darn similar sounding burger by the name of Big Jack. Oh, Big Jack, Big Mac. (laughs) That does sound to be pretty close to a copy there. Carry on. Yeah, it does. But as it turns out, not close enough. The Sydney Morning Herald reports Justice Stephen Burley, who presided over this fast food feud, ruled the intention was not to mislead, but to invite a comparison and contrast. So Hungry Jack's Big Jack trademark lives on, although I will say Jess Mackers did win a related misleading and deceptive conduct claim about the size of the patties. I do wonder, like, being in that Hungry Jack's meeting about (laughs) deciding on burger names and they came up with Big Jack. (laughs) Yeah, I guess a hamburger is a hamburger. Potato, potato, potentially. That is newsable for today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jess McCarthy. And I'm Aaron Diamond. Have a good weekend. This pod took time and resources to produce. 
Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.